Good evening. Welcome to Table Talk with your host Jay Wagner and our special guest today is Dan Ryder, owner of Farmington Billiards. Hi Dan, how you doing? Great. I'm going to ask you to just move a little closer so we make sure that the microphone picks you up. Thank you. We have such a high-tech system here. You know? Oh, that's good. <laughs> it works. So, Dan, I know you've been around pool for a long time. Um, where'd you grow up playing? Well, I didn't grow up playing. Actually, I didn't start until I went to college 50 years ago. Uh-oh. Don't give me the old, I went through college shooting pool. Well, no, I actually didn't gamble at all during college. In fact, the guy that ran the, the rec room didn't allow it. And, okay. Uh, so so you actually got through college. Right. Well, actually, no. I, I was going to, I didn't go out for the tennis team because I was going to concentrate on my studies. Then somebody introduced in pool that I quit after two years. Then I went out there for nine years, and I came back and finished. Oh, you did finish. Yes, I did finish. Good, good, good. And, and uh, so college, now where was that? Uh, Missouri State in Springfield, Missouri. Springfield. You know, I almost built a pool room in Springfield, oh, really? Missouri. Yeah. Do you remember what the room was there? No, I don't. I don't either anymore. But there was a room that was for sale in the early 80s. Okay, I, I haven't been there by. since 77 when I graduated. Yeah. So. Okay, so then where'd you go? Well, from there, I actually, after, well, after the two years of college, I ended up moving to St. Louis. And that's when I really got into pool. I uh, started playing at uh, Our Way Billiards in uh, St. Louis, and St. Louis Louis came out of there. He was just a young oh. kid uh, that came across the street from Southwest High School. He came in and played, but he was just a young kid that donated like everybody else did in the, uh, the ring nine ball on Saturday mornings. But eventually he was what, taking off the What year was this again? It was about 19, well, 66 to 69 that I okay. played out of there. Okay. And... Uh, Actually, uh, so he, uh, you know, he was just a young kid like all the other kids in there playing, and of course he came became quite a, quite a good pro player down the line. Yeah, pretty good. Yeah, <laughs> pretty good. The gambler, right? Derby right. City, yeah, the Derby Louis City. Roberts Award, right? That's right. Nice kid, looked like Elvis Presley. Oh, really? Good looking kid. Yeah. <laughs> so, so then, can you say then that you took money off Louis Roberts? Maybe when he was a kid, uh, when he in those ring nine ball games. But the last time I played him, I came, I moved in '69. I moved to work for Xerox in upstate New York, and I came back one time and I had about a three-hour session in one pocket with him. And I don't remember how it came out, but at that time he still was fairly young, wasn't at the pro level, obviously, or I would have been donating quite a bit of money because sure. I sure. sure was not that level. Moving to New York though was really interesting, was because I worked part time at Olympic Billiards, had the opportunity to see Irving Crane come in and play every Wednesday night. The deacon was a gentleman, was a Cadillac salesman, uh, just a very nice man. He had run 16, 17 racks in a row in straight pool on a gold crown and missed a shot because he was talking to you. I had the opportunity to do the Salt City Open in the early 70s, the photography for it, in Syracuse, New York, and all the big straight pool players from the East Coast were there. I mean, you Miserac there, Pete Margot, uh, Babe Cranfield, uh, the Meat Man, uh, just everybody you can imagine. Pete Margot, who was actually Steve Miserac's brother-in-law, oh. put, yes, put, and, and I didn't hear much of him, but that year he put Crane in the loser's bracket first round. Crane comes all the way through the tournament, 
comes down, he's got to beat the meat man. And I'm going brain dead on his name right now. Uh, Joe Balsas. No. Joe Balsas, that's right. Joe Balsas. And he has to take and uh, beat him twice. Well, he beats him fairly easily the first time. Second time, he has to break, leaves Balsas a shot. Balsas runs 99 on him. Goes back and forth. It's like 1 in the morning. Um, Crane's practically sleeping in his chair. Balsas got 144. <laughs> he safes uh, Crane. Crane's at the other end of the table, frozen. Uh, there's a ball frozen at the rail and the cue ball frozen to that. He wake him up. He has to shoot over to it, make a two-ball combo. Shooting that. They're putting the, the score on the chalkboard. He's kind of half asleep shooting balls, making balls, making balls. <laughs> Looks up at the board. Oh, he only needs about 90 to go. They're playing the 150. <laughs> I say to the guy in the bleachers next to me, I says, well, this match is over with. And the guy says, you're crazy. I says, he only needs 90. And he says, what? Is, what? Yeah, he needs 90. I says, I says, well, you, uh, you want to bet on it? He says, yeah, I'll give you five to one odds. Well, here's a 20. So it's great. Sure. 122 and out. And he beats Balsas. I mean, it was like with nothing. And you could see the expression when Crane got the expression of confidence on his face. When you he, get the expression on his face and Joe Balsas' face. They both knew the match was over yep. with, which is just phenomenal. It is. It is. I, I feel privileged also that I I come from an era where in Detroit I got to see a lot of the a lot of the greats. Right. You know, including, I, I, you know, seeing the greats was absolutely the best, but I had a little bonus too because I got to see uh, Gene Belukas at about 13, 14 years right. old, you know, so that was the bonus on top of it. Oh, she plays good. <laughs> oh, I know. I wanted to, we had a, when I lived up there, I had a friend of mine that his girlfriend, who I got to be a good friend of, she played in our straight pool league at, uh, um, at Olympic Billiards. We had 26 tables, all gold crowns. And the funny thing was the bowling alley had 80 bowling lanes, a full bar. All we could serve was bottles of pop in the billiard room. And he even had to have a separate entrance. Wow. Just the way that, that it sure. was back then. City ordinances. But the thing was is that uh, we had our, in our pool league for both the women and men was straight pool on the nine-foot tables. Well, this young lady was so good, her high run was 55. We tried, me and my, her boyfriend, we were going to, I have a brother that lives in Chicago, U.S. Open was in Chicago that year, and we were going to go there and compete. Gene Belucas won it at 13 that year with a high run of 35. But this girl in tight situations would get migraines, and so she wouldn't oh, go. No. But she would have had an opportunity. Sure. In fact, she had to play in the men's league because the gals wouldn't play if she played. Yeah. Yeah. Typical pool. Typical right. pool stuff. So... Your first game was actually what? Eight ball? Actually nine like ball. Nine ball? Okay. Yeah, I, I, you know, I didn't, it was on the big tables. We always played nine ball uh, and straight pool. Nine ball and straight nine pool. Nine ball, great. Um, I competed in the, uh, um, when I went back to college from 75 to 77, I competed in the uh, um, the ACUIA, Marriage oh, College sure. Unions International. Sure. And at that time, it was eight ball for the women, and it was straight pool for the men. Okay. And uh, so I went back. I was a junior, and a guy that was a senior knocked me out. The next year, I play. He's, he's a graduate student, but they say he's still eligible. He's still comes it. down to me and him. Yeah. We come down, and we only race into 50 locally. Then we go to, and I ran the five-state regional the, the previous year at my college. 
And then uh, the following year, it's going to be across the state over at the Southeast Missouri State in Cape Girardeau. And I really wanted to go because I had a good friend over there going to college there, mm -hmm. and it would be an opportunity to get a, get a nice trip. Mm -hmm. Well, come down to me and him again. I'm really racing. He's got me 49 to 20 to 28. And uh, I'm on two fouls. And I didn't know illegally. He sticks the cue ball up in the corner pocket and taps it. And I didn't realize he really had to go past the line. Yeah. So, but the people in the audience, you see, there's just steam coming on my ears. I looked yeah. and looked, and I saw a two-rail kick into the rack to pocket the ball in the side pocket. And if he had played a normal safety, he had me. He needed one ball. Well, he, right. goes, he goes back to 48 because he's given up a foul. Right. I do that, and I run 22 and out to beat him 50-48. Wow. That place that was, was probably, wild. Probably one of your best wins. Right, and one of my brattiest trophies, but one of my best favorite yeah, trophies. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was you just know, so sweet to beat him that you way. You bet. I, under, I understand that about trophies. You know, if it and then does. when I lived in New York, I mean, I, I'd gotten into gambling between horses and cards and pool uh, pretty heavy, but I always tried to quit because it kind of controlled my life. Well, I always said when I quit gambling, I put at least three people in welfare. The reason I say that <laughs> When I was living in New York, across town, I think it was called Ridge Billiards. I can't guarantee that. But I went across town, and out of about 50 people, pool was really popular. There were about 50 people in place. And I walked and asked this guy to shoot one pocket, which was in my best game. And I had an old guy by the name Gordon Guy in St. Louis, just phenomenal, taught it to me. Anyway, we, uh, I go in and pick this guy out of 50 people, ask him to play 20 a rack. He beats me 10 in a row. I don't know if he'd ever played one pocket before. But he made every shot he made. I mean, just unbelievable. Young kid, 18, probably 18 years old. His name happened to be Mike Siegel. Oh. I'm sure everybody in the place was laughing when I picked him out of 50 yeah, people. Yeah, He went on to win 100 pro titles yeah. after that. Yeah, he did, he did okay. Right. And then the next day, his one of his mentors was Larry Hubbard, <laughs> who just recently died, who was half owner of the APA leagues. But Larry went and uh, was his mentor. And the next day, I stopped in, and Larry just got a new cue. And he said, Mike, why don't you try this cue? And they play a lot of street pool. He runs 125 and out with a cue he just picked up. Wow. And I'm going, and I picked this guy out of 50 people. So. Yeah. Is that the, uh, it's not the arrow, it's the Indian right. thing? I don't know. There's been some discussion on AZ Billiards about that. Is it the arrow or the Indian? Both. Right. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so you picked really good games, huh? Right, right. <laughs> So did, just curiosity, uh, you know, we, we used to have a saying in Detroit, you know, well, if that kid would play one pocket the right way, I'd beat him all day long. Right, probably could be. You know? That's correct. You'd leave, you'd leave the carrot out there hanging. He gets one ball, but he makes it somehow, fires it in, right? Is that what he was doing? Right. Oh, but he would make everything. Yeah. Well, typically, when I, when I was living in St. Louis, I loved to play, a, play take a nine-ball player and play him one pocket. Sure. Because I'd leave him a shot in his pocket. He'd fire it in, drive the cue ball into the rack, bury himself in the rack, game over. It's yeah. my game. Yeah. You know, he didn't have enough sense and understand yeah. the game enough. And that's one thing that I like about one pocket. It's like a chess game. And the thing is, is it can, I'm not that great of a shot maker. So the thing is, is that I can take and make up for the difference with the moves and, and the strategy. Yep. Yep. So you have to outmove everybody. Right. More than 
these kids who run out every time they get an opportunity. Well, that's phenomenal. When I was about 19, and this will never happen again or ever in my life, it was just crazy. I was playing a kid. His nickname was Worm. He's like 16 years old. I'm like 19, maybe 20. And I'm playing five bucks a game, but he's playing for a dollar a game. His backer's playing for four dollars a game, so it's five bucks a game. Got me down fifty-five dollars for eleven games. He's just shooting great. I win one for fifty. I was really into gambling then. I said, you know, I told the backer, I says, look, at six thirty, at seven fifteen, I'm going to the racetrack. Do you mind jumping up to ten a rack? Honest to God, and this has ever happened before or after. I make two consecutive nine balls in a break. Run five consecutive racks, make two more in a break. He doesn't shoot for nine consecutive wow. games. And then I win five more games in that 45 minutes where he got one shot a game. I beat him 14 in a row in 45 minutes. It was just <laughs> unreal. I go to the racetrack. I make about 250 there. I come back while I'm driving by, and it's like a magnet pulling me back into the place. This place is open 24-7. So I go back and with the backers there, and he's a good shot himself. And he says, can I try to get some of my money back? I said, sure. So we start playing. I can't make more than three balls in a row. Same guy that did nine oh, racks in a row. What, what, what's happening? But he couldn't make more than two in a row. Oh, that's good. So I went eight games in a row at ten in a rack from him. And then he says, at that, he's down $80. He says, let's go to 20 a rack, and when I lose 200 I'll quit. Well, at that point, my confidence just went right up. He's already given up. Yeah. I beat him six more in a row. Between the kid and himself... He paid me 29 consecutive games. Wow. Never had a, like, a night like that before or after. Maybe the other way around. Yeah, you know, everybody thinks they happen all the time. No. That was a one-shot deal. I've had it happen twice in my life where I've gotten a big payday. You know, and it wasn't because it was great shooting either. It's because he shot worse than I did. Right. And that's what in this particular yeah. case. And it was just the same guy that, you know, it was like two completely different people. Yeah, yeah. It's funny when it happens, but we always hope that it happens again and again and again. Never did again. <laughs> Never does. Never does. Not those. Not those kind of games. You know, I had kind of that experience in uh, Ann Arbor, Michigan. That was my first time ever. That you know, all of a sudden I'm playing this guy, and he keeps giving me money, and of course he left owing me money, and he said, "Well, I'll be here tomorrow night." You know, well, you know, I busted him. I'm not going to get mad at him. You know, a couple thousand dollars. Right. And, and so, I mean, that was fine with me. I'm never expecting to see him again. Doggone, if he didn't show up the next night, paid me the 200 he owed me, and said, let's go. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this went on for five days. Wow. I know. I just couldn't believe it. How did, you know, how lucky am I to run into that? Because if it hadn't been me, of course, it would have been somebody else. Right. You know, but, I mean, he was, it wasn't that I was good, understand that. <laughs> well, the irony is, is I went and, uh, well, one of the things, because my size, I'm only five foot three, I always played my best against people. I never hustled anybody because yeah. I couldn't afford to hustle. My size, I can't afford to hustle anybody. Yeah. I'm not going to have much of a chance in a fight with most people. And so I always played my best from the get-go. Um, I know when I lived in Rochester, New York, I got started playing this guy. He wanted to play at his bar. I go in his bar. He knows everybody there. I win $385 off of him on a bar table. That's a nice And I'm day. thinking, I'm not getting out of this place in one piece. Yeah. He's like my best buddy afterwards. Ironically, one of the things is, is I got into gambling so heavily between cards and pool and the horses and stuff that 
it really controlled my life, and I really wanted to get away from it. And I sure. kept trying to quit on my own. Well, for me, it was uh, uh, my brother invited me to a campus ministry at my old college, and I wasn't going to college at the time, but the people kind of received me. But then I accepted the Lord, and and I turned that over to him. And I'm thinking, well, and shortly after that, I got a job on the road selling. And where I really got tested for it, uh, we're in Fort Leonard Wood, a military town. I go in this, I get finally get a chance about 11 o'clock to go eat at this restaurant. I get in there, and surprisingly, they got a bar table in the middle of it. And it was a fairly nice restaurant. So I see the guys are, there's five guys playing, and they're playing for a bucket game. And I thought, you know, I really want to play pool, but I want to gamble. So I go up to the table, and I tell the guys, the five guys, I says, look, here's the deal. I put my quarter up. I got my food ordered. When I'm up, it says, if I win, I can't accept anything. But if I lose, I'll pay you. Okay. Like, oh, well, this guy's well, kind of weird. You know? It's uh, a good deal for them. Well, so about the time my food's done, my quarter's up. So I get up. So I'm running racks, making five real banks, just because I mean, I'm just so. <laughs> You're just having I'm fun. Ju- I'm just having fun. Yep. Well, four of the guys are loving it. One of the guys is a big guy, about twice my size, so he's normal size in my case. But, but anyway, he, he, he takes and uh, but anyway, he takes and uh, um, every time he comes up, he's paid for ten. And you can tell the guys that are faking it and trying to make himself look bad, and the right. guys that are just got an ego. This guy was not a good player, right? But he had an ego. So I says, "I'm sorry, I don't gamble," and it really impressed me because. In my old days, I would have been back into it. So it was really sure. the strength of the Lord because I wasn't even tempted. So then, so I'd go through it. It didn't take maybe two, three minutes a game. So in about ten more minutes, I'm back playing him again. And he's getting madder of him. And I was poor in a church mouse at the time, and I could have used any diamond to get. At the end of the night, he throws $150 on the table. Says, you're playing for me for this 150 I would have beat you up. Well, in my old days, I would have taken the coup and defended Absolutely, myself. right there. I calmly laid the pool cue down on the table, put my arms down my side, and I said, you know what? You're going to have to start beating me up because I'm not playing for it. And I'm thinking, Lord, what are you doing? Did you get me killed because I'm refusing to take the guy's money? He's coming at me. The other four guys grab him, stick his money in his pocket, and drag him out. So it really showed me it was his strength and not mine, but I'm, yeah. I'm glad I didn't have to get beat up for yeah. it. But it was just kind of ironic that, you know, the first time I refused to take a guy's money, I'm going to somebody sure. threatened me, you know. sure. But I, but I know I've been around tested. people that tested. Yeah, probably the the probably the best player I ever beat was a guy by the name of uh, um, oh my gosh I'm going brain dead here right now. I'll think it. In a minute. We're allowed to do that because right. we're old enough. Right, right. <laughs> but anyway, this kid played Minnesota Fats at the beautiful beautiful pool hall. I found a picture of it recently. It was upstairs. Uh, called the Grand and Ollie Billiards in St. Louis, and they, they took it out while I was living in New York when I came back to this town. But I got to see this kid when he was like 17 years old, beat Fats out of $12,000 in one pocket. Wow. And the last shot he took was just the craziest shot. I mean, it was just, it was it was nuts, but he made it. But anyway, his, uh, um, so then not too long after that, I'm sitting at the, my billiard place was Gravoy Billiards. It might have been after billiards. It was, it was on Gravoy after billiards. And I'm sitting there one day, and I don't feel like playing. And he comes over and he says, you want to play something? I says, no. And I really didn't feel like playing. Well, he kept giving me a bigger spot, bigger spot, bigger spot. And finally gave me a big enough spot. And we weren't playing for a lot. But the thing is, you want to get a big enough spot, that I couldn't lose. Yeah. You know, and so normally and normally, I'm not really good at holding out like that. I okay. usually don't get a good enough game. And, 
And that was what was interesting. The, the, a lot of the guys that weren't nearly the best pool players but really knew how to get the right spot, those guys made the most money. Yeah. There was that's a, where you learned that, that it's in the making of the game, not the game itself. That's right. There was a guy in St. Louis, I don't remember his name, but he has a big-time tuck pointer company. He did tuck pointing all over the country. It's funny, big guy, always wore a white shirt that was kind of ready what, looking. What, what, what's tuck pointers? Just tuck pointers, they go and they... Uh, uh, on brick buildings and stuff, or any type of building, they're you know they're doing the tuck pointing. They're they're putting the uh, re-cementing in the in the around like that and everything. Okay. But he had a company that did it all over the country. Lots of money. He would come in occasionally, but he always had about twelve grand in his pocket, and he would play these really good players, and they start fifteen hundred a game. Sure. They'd be beating him. They get up to three thousand dollars, but all of a sudden they get up to a thousand dollars a game. Yeah. They couldn't handle the pressure. Handle. He wasn't that great of a player, but, but he could play for 24 hours straight. Had a lot of stamina, but because he he could afford to lose that 12,000, those guys couldn't afford it. So yeah. he'll maybe get a couple grand off these guys. Yeah, that's all relative, isn't it? Right. How much money you're playing for and what's comfortable or not. We're going to take a little break here, uh, enjoy a little music, and then we'll be back with Dan Ryder, owner of Farmington Billiards. Jay Wagner and our special guest today is Dan Ryder, owner of Farmington Billiards. Uh, Dan, when we left off, you were talking about some New York stories, and uh, I'm trying to picture together. Where did you leave after New York? You were working for Xerox in New York, right? And then you took a road job, sales. Road? Well, actually, what happened was um, one of my bosses gave uh, got me in from the multi-level thing that worked out really great. Oh, okay, you know. So, and actually what happened well, was... Well, yeah, but that was early multi-level, so right, you were right. on ground floors. Well, it, was, it actually, the company did do quite well, but then they got a cease and desist by the federal sure. government and wiped it. I built an, I went back to Missouri on a weekend, went back there, built an organization, about 50 people, was really getting to the point to make big money. Uh, the company got in trouble with the cease and desist order, and my 50 people were moved up to... Uh, were, lost my organization in about one day, so... Wow. So that kind of changed things. So I ended up back in Springfield, Missouri and uh for a while and that's when i was doing the sales thing we talked about before um with the the situation with uh, the guy that uh, was going to beat me up for not taking his money sure but then i ended up uh going back to st louis and going to work in st louis for about a year my job laid off and then went back to college finished my degree and then and when i got my finished my degree i uh went and played for a job in kansas city well the company that hired me there had an opening in Red Wing, Minnesota. Oh, my. So I ended up in Red Wing, Minnesota. Um, Do you want to mention the company name? It was ADM Milling. Okay. And what was that doing? I was running the laboratory for the, the for the uh, flour mill. Okay. I was, running, I was a chemist running a lot flour, uh, the lab at the flour mill. And then I was there about a year and a half, and then I took a job with Minnesota Malting in Cannon Falls. I was there for 24 years. It was interesting. I even had the taste test with August Bush III when he's head of Anheuser-Busch. Wow. 
and he says in front of my president, damn, you're good. So that was good. I'll save the company for another year anyway. Yeah, really. so. You had another job for a while. But, but it was interesting uh, because the vice president of international malting called me back the next day. He was with on that trip too. And he said, you really impressed Mr. Bush. And I said, well, why is that? I says, the thing I was doing, I've been doing for 20 years. Why should I be? And he said, because you weren't nervous. I said, well, I shouldn't be nervous. I'm, I've been doing for 20 years. Mm -hmm. And he said, well, most people get nervous when they're around him. I says, well, you know, I think part of it, what helps me then, playing pool tournaments. I says, you learn to control your emotions and not be nervous in tight situations. Sure. And I think that helped me out in that particular situation, not being nervous around people Absolutely. that have a large authority. Absolutely. And you, and you have what I call a working man stroke. You've worked all this time that you've played pool. You've never not had a job. That's correct. Yeah. And do you ever kind of think, oh, if I only would have or it would have been fun to have tried or maybe you did. Did you, did you ever put yourself out there, like go to a U.S. Open or go to one of the big tournaments? Or, you know? No, I think what really the reality hit me when I moved to upstate New York, and I was pretty good in St. Louis. I mean, there was a lot of players who were better than me, but when I moved to upstate New York with Mike Siegel being there and Larry Hubbard and Irving Crane, and you saw that level of play and realized, I'm not at that level. I'll never make it pro. These guys, are, they're just a... And I, and I got to a level, and I, you know, I never went beyond that level. And I knew I was going to be an okay player, but nothing at that level. And, and, and I, I acknowledge that also. Uh, my experience was I did give it a try, and I just couldn't afford the time to get as good as these guys. I couldn't make it my life. I needed the work. <laughs> I felt always that I could play at that level, but I wasn't. I wasn't ready to practice and practice and practice some more to get good. And you know, the whole life turns upside down. And you know from the gambling part, right? Life turns upside down completely. And you have to make a conscious decision. You know, and so that's rough to do sometimes. Well, since I moved to Minnesota, I had really not played much in pool leagues. I had played in make tables, but I got introduced to pool leagues. And it was amazing how when I moved to Red Wing, and there was probably over 300 people playing pool leagues, men and women. Red Wing, Red Wing 70, had how many people at the time? Maybe 16,000. And in that area between there and just across the river in, in um, Wisconsin, we had a Pierce County, um, Goodyear County League. And they probably had 300 people between men and women wow. playing league. Now they're probably lucky if they've got 30 over there playing. That's the way it's changed. Yeah. Um, the thing that I got involved in pool up here was first um, I was uh, playing leagues. And then uh, I always had a situation where we played the Valley Leagues. And it seemed like I always had, I'd have four A players, a B player. And an A player that played enough to just to get qualified, we go to the tournament. We'd have to sit the B player, and he was the one there was every week, and I hated yeah. that. Yeah. So I was looking for a handicap league, and I came across the M8. And the thing I liked about that was I could have friends of mine. They were all different abilities, but they were good friends. We hang out, and they could be competitive because of the handicap league. But the thing about the handicaps are like great. You get people involved that would never play pool. The flip side of it is because the handicap is so accurate that they don't see any reason to practice. Yeah. So they can show up once a week and be competitive. Yeah. When I started playing, I was playing four to eight hours a day on the table to get better because you were always playing straight up for money. And if you didn't get better, you were going to lose your rear end. Oh. And uh, so it's kind of a catch-22. It's introduced more people to it. And everything switched to the bar tables. Not yeah. many people doing the big tables. Well, up here, up here it's all bar table in Minnesota. Uh, 
it's hard to even really find a lot of people who play the nine foot anymore, except for the really good players. But they were weaned on it, right? right. And the ones who play one pocket, <laughs> right? And I love one pocket. <laughs> yeah. But other than that, it's, it's, it is tough. You know, uh, and I think that leagues like M8, APA, help evolve pool into uh, a uh, social game. It was no longer a gambler's game, right? It and was there's some social, good point. And there's good aspects yeah, of that, too. At least they're introduced to the game, and if they decide they want to get better, they have that option. You know, we have a batch of kids right now that all started on bar box, right, down south of us. Right. Right? That all got real good, and that includes the like of Jesse Engel. Start on bar box. <laughs> you know? So at least they're being introduced and coming out of the leagues and decide they want to be better. You know? But and the Minnesota ball, ball uh, players that play in the bar tables are some of the best in the country. I mean, regularly we go out and win the nationals out of this state, and it's a phenomenal uh, group of people that play pool. In fact, today, uh, tomorrow, uh, April Larson is leaving to fly to uh, Shanghai, China to play in the Worlds in the Youth. Yes. Plays out of right here. This place, she was here last night playing. Okay. And it's just phenomenal that, uh, and uh, Shooters has really developed with their youth leagues is where she's developed up there, and they do a great job with the youth up there. I appreciate what they do. They do, they do, and that was uh, all started by another national champion, June Myers. Right. And uh, she's brought the program along real well, and now she's resigned from the program after, what, I mean, must be 10, 11 years, 12 years, you know, a long time. But she decided she wanted to dedicate some time to her pool playing. She is a master player, which, by the way, we should let people know about you. Right? Oh, you know, because you're dropping names and saying you play, but you're a master player also. Not really. I've never made it at that level. You never have. No, no. I've always wanted to be. So. Well, what, what, what? I thought your handicap in the uh, UPL, which was formerly the M8 league, right? Is only is you know, it's like a double A, a double A. I'm just okay. I've, I've kind of. You know, I get better and I get worse, and so it depends. So I think that has to do with age. But but yeah, it could be. The other thing too is though is one thing about in tournaments. I, a number of years ago, I went and I was playing a tournament, and I'd run four racks in a row on this very good team. Come down to the hill hill game. I mean, just phenomenal outs. Come to the hill hill game, and I blow an easy out. So within the pool world, I hear about that for years. Sure, sure. Well, probably about six seven years ago, we had the moment tournament up in Duluth. And I was just reminded, I forget about it, but I was reminded that day I was, one of my teammates was his birthday, and I remember, he, and he just reminded me of this out. I was playing with him, finally got that monkey off my back. It was game 25. Uh, the other guy dry broke, and I needed to win. I wish I'd had a videotape of this rack. I mean, there's no way in the world anybody going to run this rack out. On every single shot, I had to break out oh, the no. next ball. On every single shot. Rack from hell. Yeah, and, and, and one, one of them, one of the balls, had like I had to come two rails to break out the ball to get a shot on it. And it was just the most phenomenal out there. It's the last shot of the, the last game of the night. About 100 people are watching. Um, 
And boy, once I finished that rack, I mean, there was hoot and holler, and I still have people that I don't even know walk up to me five, six years later, said that's the best out I've seen in the tournament in my entire life. So it was nice to get that monkey off my oh. back. But I think sometimes, like a rack like that, you have to focus so much that you get out. Other times, you've got a wide open rack. It's an easy rack, but you shoot to a zone. You don't focus on each other. Right. And pretty you get a little more out of shape, and all of a sudden, you blow the game because yeah. you didn't you just didn't focus. Yeah. But that I had to focus so. Uh, I even say so that much. I say that same thing about valley tables. You know, uh, people like to talk about how easy it is to pocket balls. Well, sometimes you're thinking it's so easy that you're once again you're not playing your pinpoint shape. You're not working on the shots and. Guess what happens? <laughs> yeah, well, sometimes same, it's the valley thing. cue ball doesn't help you either. Well, so. <laughs> that's, that's true too. But I, I do believe that valley tables helped open the whole world oh, of yes. pool league, oh. and actually has gotten more people involved in pool than any other innovation in, in pool. Oh, they did a was. they did a great job, you know. And actually, what's ironically is Gary Benson was working for DNR Star here in Southern Minnesota. Oh, really? And that's who he's the one. Let who everybody developed. know who Gary Benson is. Well, Gary Benson now runs the national tournaments, and he has a also uh, has a vendor out in uh, Fort Collins, Colorado. But he worked for DNR Star. He really started the Nationals here and started really started the league system for Valley in here for DNR Star in Rochester. And they had the first couple national tournaments here. Right. And but also, was he here then? Did he actually start the, the juniors part? He, he could that? have. I'm not sure. Okay. I'm because not sure when the juniors started. I'm pretty sure that DNR Star was responsible for the first juniors championships in Valley. Oh, I'm sure they probably were. In fact, and it's that's going to be why they were up here all the time. And I think the the Nationals are going to be back here this year also. That's wonderful. Because I know they were in uh, Battle Creek, Michigan last year. They move I'm, them around. I'm kind of puzzled though as to why uh, there aren't more national sponsors at the Junior Championships, the Valley Junior Championships. You know, you know I, I think part of the problem is is the general public doesn't know much about pool. And the thing is, is and the industry is not that profitable, so it's tough for them to really put out that kind of money. Sure. You know, and we don't get the sure. team. And, you well, know, but but uh, what I understand, they have uh, three to four hundred juniors. Is that correct? Do you know what that? No, I don't is? know what the number is, but it's pretty good. But I understand it's, it's a high number, and uh, you know these are all the future customers. Right. For all the pool. You know, if they're going to take the time to not only participate in a junior league and learn through local rooms, but then to take the time and the money and the effort to go play in a national junior tournament, at least you know they have some dedication. Well, I think what happened, the disconnect there happened when the BCA, Billiard Congress of America, sold off the BCA leagues. And it became a separate entity. Okay. And the BEF is which does the on the big tables, which this April Larson is playing in. That's a separate entity. So you now have that connection to the manufacturers. At that time, the BCA was the manufacturers oh. and the billiard operators and thing. And that organization was also the organization that sponsored the BCA leagues. Right. So they had a connection. Now it's been sold off. It's totally separate. So I don't think right. you have that. I don't think the. The people that make billiard tables and uh, um, sure. and all the other and cues and stuff are as connected to the sport as much as they used to be. Right. I mean, ironically, that's the sport, but I think the billiard manufacturers are more connected to the home market a, sure. and not the 
not the actual sure. playing well, side of it anymore. That's an interesting way to look at it. I, I haven't thought about it in that term. Uh, and for those people, I, I, I just want to explain a little bit. The Billiard Congress of America, BCA, used to run leagues. They sold their league system off, and now uh, it's owned by Mark Griffin, and it's called the BCA Pool League. The BCA has no meaning whatsoever. It has nothing to do with the Billiard Congress of America. They're two separate entities. And so, so what Dan is saying is that the Billiard Congress of America used to have not only pool players in leagues, but they also had all the manufacturers, so everything was under one house. And now it's fractured. That's correct. And also the previous people that ran the BCA leagues, which was a nonprofit, they farmed American Q Sports International, a, uh, ACS, so they'd have one that they could hopefully promote uh, the opportunity to get the Olympics eventually. But what happens is that fractured even more. So, you know, you get us all this fracturing on, on the leagues and not cooperation. And so that makes it tough for anybody sure. to have a national program. Presence, you know, whereas like the APA now they've got like 275,000 to 300,000 players, so right, but that's an entity that's a profit making. Then you get the BCA, you get the ACS, and then now you've gotten a lot of these states have pulled out of the BCAPL league and they're uh, um, they're forming their own statewide organizations. We have uh, um, the MPA up here by John Stitch doing a phenomenal job, getting us a lot of tournaments and tournaments almost every weekend for the for the amateur players, and it's been a phenomenal growth. But then again, it's an entity within itself. And but it sounds like uh, Ohio, I mean Iowa and Minnesota and Wisconsin, even though they're independent leagues, are going to do a lot of cooperative things together for tournaments and stuff. Sure. So on that, it, this would be a good time for you to go ahead and plug. <laughs> What you have coming up? Oh, okay. I have, I have an MPA up. tournament, a three-man MPA tournament that's coming up on December 6th. It's $1,000 added. It's going to be a lot of fun. Last year we had 42 teams, so if you want to play, you want to get in early. And uh, so, uh, yeah, I got here at 7 in the morning and got out here at 5 a.m. the next morning. And luckily, the last two teams decided to split. Otherwise, I might have had been a 24-hour day. But I absolutely loved it. I loved it, every minute of it. It was, it was a lot of fun. I, you know, I actually played in that one. Right. I won't talk about how I did. Okay. But, yeah, it was a lot of fun. This place was absolutely packed and rocking. You know, it, it, it was a good run tournament. It was beautiful. Yeah, and the MPA, uh, John Stitch and uh, uh, his partner, Scott Norberg, do a great job of it. The nice thing about it is even when I don't get to go to their tournaments, you can go online and follow the brackets and see what they're doing. Some of them, have, when he has his uh, casino tournaments and they come in, somebody live streams them. So you can, I can, if I can't make it, I can sit here and watch a live stream, like same with my, my players compete in it. And uh, so they do a great job with, uh, with their technology on that, too. So what, what's the date on that term? December 6th, Saturday, December, December 6th. 6th. And how do they sign up? Can they come here and sign they up? They can sign up here, or call me, or sign through uh, through MPA. Uh, if you go on the their website, it's mpapool.com. mpapool.com. And then you can just sign right up online. And right. And then if you want to look at the, there's also some information. It's not as, but as fluid as that, but my website is, uh, uh, is, um, 
FarmingtonBilliardsMN.com. There's also FarmingtonBilliards.com, but that's out in uh, um, Farmington, New Mexico. So oh, okay. yeah, that might be a little longer trip for you. We're not in Mexico. Right. We're in Minnesota. <laughs> but MN versus NM, so you yeah. got to be careful. Oh, that's, oh yeah. Oh, my. <laughs> but, uh, and also we have, uh, if, you wanna, if you're on Facebook, you can like us on our fan page. It's just Farmington Billiards fan page on Facebook. So you've covered social media pretty good too, then. Huh? Somewhat. I haven't got into Twitter yet. So. <laughs> Me either. I'm still struggling with Facebook. It's horrible. My uh, son has much more technology than I do. So, but I remember when he, I used to think I was tech savvy. But no. No. I'm not. No. Forget it. No. The uh, so, and then talking about the MPA a little bit. Don't they have a big one? Thanksgiving weekend or something? Yes, they or? do at uh, Black Bear in Carlton, and then they have the other bigger one. Where's Carlton? That's just south, uh, just north of Hinkley, and just south of Duluth. It's uh, pretty close to Duluth. Okay. It's at the Black Bear Casino there. I went to the tournament last year, uh, the last one they had there, and it was run very well. It was a lot of fun. Um, if you haven't reserved your room but yet, you probably won't get one. If you want to go to the one in April, it's the weekend after Easter, and that's the aunt, that's their uh, their big one, and that's going to be guaranteed then ten thousand first for the top team. Wow. They add a lot of money. The casino right. does, correct? Yes, they do. How much do you know? How much the one is in in uh, over Thanksgiving week? I think that's ten thousand added. Ten thousand added. Where whereas the one in uh, next spring in April. That'll be ten thousand for first price. Just ten thousand for, for the first, first. price. So it's probably like twenty thousand. I don't know wow. exactly the exact numbers, but you're getting ten thousand for first price. Wow! See, it's a good thing Minnesota has a lot of players, or right. these kind of tournaments wouldn't happen. Um, I've had the privilege of traveling all over town, uh, all over town, all over the country, and actually doing a lot of tournaments in Minnesota. We're spoiled here. Oh, are we spoiled? You know, I go to Kansas City, and Kansas City, you're lucky to find a $50 added tournament. You know, they just don't exist. They have one, uh, a couple good tournaments a year, and that's at Shooters in Olathe, the, the Midwest Nine Ball. But other than that, there's nothing. And that's how it is in a lot of places. You know, there's nothing, there's nothing there. And here, we have tournaments where there's 100 added every week. Right. You know, or more. You know, I also wanted to mention something that uh, I don't know if you saw it or not, but uh, some pros come to town on that weekend, too, at Jimmy's. Are you familiar with that at all? No, I'm not. Oh, dear. Well, I'm going to just let that hang for a minute, and uh, we're going to take a little break. And then we'll come back with Dan Water, Dan Ryder, excuse me, Dan Water. I'm thirsty. Uh, and and we're going to talk about Farmington Billiards. Okay, that sounds great.
Table Talk. I'm Jay Wagner, guest host. Today is Dan Ryder. We're learning all about his life and his business. Soon we'll learn about his business because this is free plug time. Okay. Okay. So you moved up to Red Wing. You got involved with what was known as the M8 League. Right. And uh, where'd you go from there? Well, at the time I got involved with them, I was working at uh, um, Minnesota Malting in Cannon Falls, and I had actually moved to a little town of Randolph. But we went and they brought Bruce Erickson, who started the M8 League, brought it out of the APA, which is actually the Bush Pool League when he ran it. And uh, I wanted to develop it down there. Well, we actually met in Randolph, but we got it started. I actually had an exchange student from Spain that year, so I didn't work on that fall, but I got somebody else to start, and we started up in Hastings with six teams. So we got it going. After that session, the fall session, then I started in Cannon Falls. At the time in Cannon Falls, DNR Star, that we talked about before, they had the Valley League, they had uh, um, 20, uh, 16 teams in Cannon Falls, a population of about 5,000 people, between Randolph, Welch, and, and uh, Cannon Falls. So... That was like 94 when I started, the winter of 94. Well, in two years, I went from zero to 28 teams playing in the Cannon Falls area. The other league, which actually switched to Spearvin, was still a Valley League, went from 16 to 22 teams. We had 50 teams playing in a population of 5,000 people. It was unbelievable. I had teams, if they signed up later, so you got to put the next session. I had the bars. I had one bar, went from two to uh, six tables. I had another bar, went two to six tables just to handle all the teams. Now that was 20 years ago. Now in those towns, there's probably a maybe of two or three, four teams playing out of there. It's changed so it's much. So horrible. Yeah, it just went the other direction. Do you have, a, do you have an idea why that happened, or what 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 caused the decline? Or well, I think a lot of the players I had there, they were young. They got married. They uh, um, uh, had kids. But also, if, once I had to move the area, I took a full-time job up in the city, so I wasn't there, and the vendor wasn't there anymore that really promoted it, because you got to keep promoting constantly. And plus the other thing, the, the economy also, I think. Well, also the .08 law for drinking, people worried about getting pulled over, uh, that. And I think another factor is, is so many companies have went to 12-hour shifts. Well, if you work 12 hours, you're not going to go play a pool league after that. Right. You're, you're basically existing. You're coming home and eating, gets, doing a little thing around the house, go to sleep, and then go back to work. Sure. And I think that's hurt. Plus the economy as well. I mean, back then, uh, houses were going up in price all the time. So if somebody had, uh, um, you know, maybe they had $5,000 in credit card things, and maybe eight or $9,000 on a car loan, oh, my gosh, my house has went up in value by $50,000. I can go make a $20,000 home equity loan at 5% interest. All of a sudden, my payments drop by $300 a month. Um, and it's all deductible at that stage mm -hmm. of the game. And the thing is, is that uh, all of a sudden, I can give 20 bucks to the kid to go out and play pool or do whatever. Sure. And there just isn't that. with uh, Nobody has any equity homes anymore. No. And that's gone. Um, if you look at a lot of the fast food restaurants thing, how many kids do you see there working? A lot of times it's adults or immigrants. Um, and even if they do, most of the kids now, they wouldn't work at McDonald's. I mean, right. they're above that. You know, right. They'd rather have no money. And plus, I think the expansion of Call of Duty and all the video games and the sophistication of them. And the kids on the phones and on the iPads, sure. they're more interested in that. And they're not interested in doing anything physical. I hope it comes back. But if you look at when we've had the boom in billiards, 
when I since I've been alive with billiards was in the 60s after <clears throat> the great movie The Hustler came out. It kind of waned, and then in the 86 when The Color of Money came out, you had the thing, and that since then we've not really had a good movie that grabbed uh, the public that much. Sure. We've had a few that were somewhat successful, but some were poorly made, uh, and they just didn't grab the public. And, and if you look at The Hustler and both The Hustler and uh, Color of Money, you had major stars in those. Right. You know, right. you had major stars, so that attracted a lot of people well, to it. And I also think that, uh, that uh, we have this instant gratification thing going on where the kids want, want it right now right. and get it right now. And then when I'm bored, it's done. Right. And and the thing, too, is it, it takes, I mean, even the young kids that come into my place, it's hard to get them to say, hey, you know, you want to learn the game, you know, I'll, I'll teach you, whatever. They, they're really that interested. They just want to bang the balls around. They're really that interested in taking the time. I mean, I used to spend four to eight hours a day on the pool table to get better. So what do you think about uh, the pocket size? Does that injure pool rooms, or does it? Does it help? I say that because, you know, I think that the, uh, especially newcomers, all we, all I wanted to do when I learned was make a ball. Right. You know, I didn't know that the pockets were different sizes. I didn't know anything, but all I wanted to do was make a ball. And I had to have trouble thinking, oh man, if I'm playing on a four and a half inch pocket even, or less, I couldn't have made balls back then. Thank you, Valley, by the way. <laughs> right. Well, even in, even at the pool hall, the pool hall I played in, we had some tables with tight, but, but most of them were eight-footers with pretty big pockets, you know. And then, then the other nicer pool hall, then the one across from the R-Way Billiards next to the, the high school, that was all smaller they, tables with big pockets. Right, whereas, whereas the more serious players went to some of the other places, with which were the gold crowns, mm -hmm. and they weren't super tight pockets, but they were tight enough, and they were pretty much standard what we have now. Sure. And uh, But I know sometimes um, some of the people want pro-cut diamonds. I mean, my diamonds, um, they're deep enough pockets that you rattle some balls in them, but I wouldn't want the pro-cuts right. because of uh, you're really going to discourage a lot of people, you know, regular league players, all of a sudden they can't make a ball. Right, you know, so it's and, and nowadays, pool business depends a lot on league players. Correct? Absolutely, you know, if you don't have, if you aren't full up on league players, you're going to have problems. Because uh, so, so uh, uh, now Farmington Billiards. How long has it been in operation? It's been, I think about 21 years. I know Jim Powell had it for first. He started it a number of years. Done that four or five, I think, and then. And then uh, I'm not sure exactly how many years he had it. And then uh, um, Rod and Larry Jones had it for 12 years. And then my daughter was living in town at the time, and I was working full-time up in St. Louis Park and living in Chaska, and they said it was going to go up for sale. So I come down, and I end up buying it from them. Okay. And uh, that's been, at the end of the show, be five years now five that I've years. had it. And you you're retired from your other job at the same time about? or what Well, no, I, the first two years and two months I owned it, I worked 20-hour uh, days every day. I did oh. get a little break. I, I got a break on Saturday morning, so I should say Saturday mornings I could sleep in a little bit. You could sleep in. Sunday mornings I'd go to church, so Saturday morning was my own sleeping day. And I usually, usually I got up early enough to go to Sam's to buy my, my cigarette material. So it was, uh, <laughs> plus I was driving from Chaska to St. Louis Park, driving to St. Louis Park to here. 
and then going back to Chaska. How many miles is that? Well, it was like 45 minutes back home at night. I get pulled over every night because I'd be weaving a little bit, you know, like 1.30 in the morning. Because you're tired. And, you know, on the first couple nights, I said, you know, you you can say I'm just tired. I don't drink. And I says, do you recognize my car? Which just please just leave me alone. You're, you're taking away my sleep. Yeah. And one night I got pulled over in, in Savage by the local cop. Then I get on 169, and then the trooper pulls me over. So I, they eliminate a half an hour of sleep. And I only get four hours a night. It's I hate getting – and I don't know. I think back, how did I do that? For two two years and two months, I did yeah. both. And then my company closed. So so that actually got sure. me down. So I'm just doing measly 12-hour days now. So just, so, well, just a piece of cake. You know, we're of the generation and of the ilk that we work. Right. Well, and the thing is, is that I'm at the billiard room. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, is, is it really work? I mean, I, I work, but I mean, I love what That's I'm right. doing. And even in my regular profession, I worked as, right. a, as a chemist, a lab manager. I worked as a production planner, materials manager, stuff. I got to say that I've never had a job that I didn't like. I may have had a few companies, a few bosses right. that I didn't like, but I've never had a job that I enjoy going to. And I know a lot of people can't say that, but I've always loved every job I've done. That's important. Yeah, and, and but, you know, see, I think that takes us back though to our youth, in that we made the best of any situation we found ourselves in. Right. Is that not right? Yeah. Is that, yeah. Oh, well, yeah. I just. I think that was part of our upbringing. Well, I worked in a place that would be equivalent to yeah. McDonald's, a fast food place. It was it was a local place called the Dairyette, but and we worked hard in there. But we had a great time doing it, you know, yeah. and we didn't feel embarrassed to doing it, you right. know. In fact, at the, there were so few jobs in the town. If you got there, it was a. I mean, my dad had to give influence because he was a produce manager. He proved a lot of produce to this. I mean, I had to get an influence, and my dad basically got me a job through the owner, okay. you know. And so that was the way, you know. I mean, it was tough to get a job, you know. Sure. And everybody wanted those jobs. Sure. So how many tables does Farmington Billiards have? 17 pool tables. We have, uh, um, what do we have here? We have nine um, seven-foot diamonds. We have... Uh, um, what is it, seven now? Seven, oh, six gold crown twos, nine-footers. We have one diamond table, nine-foot diamond table. We love, we put Artemis rails on it. The rails, the rubber alone is $395. It plays nice. We set it up just That's for, nice. yeah, we set it up just for one pocket straight pool for the better players. Uh, a lot of people like, I get a lot of people coming in, they'll do their, their match games on that because mm-hmm. of that. And then we got the snooker table in and, uh, that's uh, uh, Tim Tonjum redid it. It's a 1945 anniversary. It's a beautiful table. It's only a 5 by 10 But if I would have put up uh, an ocean table, I would have taken two tables out to replace oh, yeah. that one. So, Tough to put in an ocean. But put this in, and uh, um, the deal was is I paid for the install and the cloth on it. and uh, But he had restored it and didn't want to have it in storage. So it works out a good deal. I mean, he's got a good place in it. And then... Uh, I had a Stoker League last summer, and then uh, now I've got a bunch of guys coming in, and, and, and uh, yours truly included, comes down and play a little bit of golf on it on Sundays. And it's been a lot of fun having the guys down and, and playing on a Stoker table. They were doing it on a nine-footer previously, uh, gold crown, and it's just not the same. You've got to be on a Stoker table to play golf. Yeah. And it's a fun game. It, it's, well, it's a different game. Well, It's, it's still fun, but it's different. Right. But, and, and the same thing, too, is but when you play golf on a Stoker table, it's definitely not a Dale Carnegie course in no. how to make friends and influence people. <laughs> you may influence them, but the golf, opposite way. Golf was never friendly. <laughs> but but the guys that play it, they but, understand that, yeah. and they and, and they have a lot of fun. Yeah, we do, and and yeah, and thanks to your hostiness, you take care of us very well. Well, and I appreciate you guys coming down. You know the uh, 
So who do, does Lee come in a lot and play? Not not not, not lately. Like he, used he used to come to? in quite a bit. We used to have him. You know, he gave him free pool, but I haven't seen him much lately. But he's a very good player, just a phenomenal player. Yeah. We're talking about Lee Huey, right? Who is absolutely this guy's got a gear that doesn't stop when he hits it, right? You know, and when he doesn't hit it, he's still phenomenal. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but he's. You know, he's blessed with this consistency that's at a high level, but yet can still move up, move up. You know, where, yep. uh, yeah, he's an amazing player. That's for sure. And it's too bad that, uh, you know, it's too bad he can't go play and show it off. Right, right. I mean, yeah, and it's, it's, it's too bad that in, some of it's coming back, but ESPN doesn't do men's uh, tournaments on... No. And we just don't get the support. I think about when when golf is, you know, a guy can finish a hundredth and still make a million dollars. And where here you could win every pro tournament in the country and maybe make a hundred thousand if you're lucky. If you, you know, you almost have to make it in some challenge matches that are gambling. But as far as the regular tournaments, you can't make that much. Um, but here, here at Farmington Billiards, when I took it over, I knew it was kind of dead in the water. I knew it was going to be a building process. And they had like two or maybe four teams playing out here. I'm playing got 21 teams playing out here oh, this season. Good so, job. but if I didn't have league players, but the crazy thing is, is Farmington. It's just didn't a few more Farmington people in, but out of my 21 teams, it's about 160 players that come on a regular basis. But maybe 15 or 16 are from Farmington. The rest are from out of town, so it's not. It's not like they can just stop in. Right. You know, and like my tournament, we're talking about this three-man tournament. Last year, my three-man tournament. Myself and one other person was from Farmington. We had them from a 150-mile radius. We had them from La Crosse, St. Cloud, Eau Claire, Mankato, uh, Rochester, north of the cities. We had them from all over except from here. Okay. They just haven't That's, found that many pool players yeah. in Farmington. So, but my rent here is so reasonable. And the other thing, too, is one of the reasons I put diamonds in, we're at the southernmost area before you dropped in the DNR territory. And DNR, I mean, they helped start the Valley National. Mm -hmm. So they're going to stick the Valley tables, obviously. And Valley tables aren't that bad, but the problem is, is so many of them are just in regular bars. Where we're at Pool Hall, we maintain our tables. We vacuum our tables before every league match. We wash the balls. Bars. Wash the ball. Yeah. I'm get, I think I need a drink you of water. You need a drink of water. Talking about washing, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, the, um, but the thing is, is it's just different in a bar. Their focus is, is selling beer and food and stuff like that so sometimes the pool table so valley tables get a bad rap a lot because they're in a bar where the focus isn't the table so you got bangers on it you got people spilling drinks on it sure. everything. so because if they're well maintained you go to john Sturt, stitch's mpa tournaments and he has valley tables but he has them with great cloth on them he has them level plays with a real cue ball a red dot cue ball and they play fine you know, and so so a lot of times the, the bad rap on valley tables is because of the locations. Are right. they moving them around for dances and not re-leveling them and stuff like that? So, but but the diamond table is definitely a step up, big step up okay. as far as quality. So, seventeen tables, and what about food? Well, we're fairly limited in our menu. I can make burgers. Uh, I've got to get my th four compartment sink in so then I can go back to use my uh, um, fryer that would do. French fries and burgers and, and, and chicken strips and stuff like that. 
but mainly were Heggie's pizzas, which were just phenomenal. Heggie's pizzas are the best. Frozen and then I can still do there. my fries. I get, I, I can't do my fries, but then I do my burgers yet because they are pre-cooked, and so I can microwave them, and we do the the patty separate, and then we put okay. the condiments onto that. So it's still, it's fairly, it's, it's not quite like going to, you know, somewhere else. Right. But, it's, but, but it's, we're talking more full room food. Right. Yeah, right. Just what what people expect in a room. Right, right. Then you know we hope to we hope to add a little more kitchen. I'd like to add a little more kitchen. I'm trying to get the city of Farmington to, to go 50-50 with me for an expansion here. So we'll see how where that comes from. They have Good some money to that. do that. Well, they have some monies for that for the EDA. So Good. we'll see if we can get them to move forward on that. And so. then what about alcohol? We have strong beer and wine, and I really don't. I really don't, for my place, really want to go beyond that. I mean, you get into full liquor, then your dram shop goes up. Oh, yeah. um, then you got to have somebody that's a bartender that knows how to mix drinks. And you have some other issues that I really don't want to deal with. Right. And, uh, you know, we're we're basically a pool hall, and then I want to be, and then they would be less accessible to kids. And I want it to be accessible to mm -hmm. kids. And uh, here it's we're a situation where a pool hall that has pool leagues and a pool leagues, and we have, offer some adult drinks for the the, the bar leagues that want to sure. play, want to have an adult drink. But we're not we're not a bar, you right? Know. Right. You yeah. don't advertise as a bar at all. Right. Right. That's just you have it. Right. Right. And that's good. That's good. You know, it, it's back in the old. Farmington Billiards to me is kind of back in the old days, pool hall situation. You know, it isn't it isn't that fast, ritzy type thing. Right. You right. know, you come in, it's just relaxing. You have a good time. You know, everybody you run into is of the same ilk. You have to you watch do. out for the owner. He's kind of well. The owner sometimes yeah, right. pisses me off, but we just call him short stuff. Yeah, right. <laughs> I have to look in the mirror and chew him out once in a while. Yeah. <laughs> what are you doing? You bet. <laughs> you bet. Well, I think we've had a good talk. Anything else you want to add about anything? I just remind remind everybody, uh, no, December what? Sixth. December sixth for the three man tournament. Right. Uh, I just want to add one little thing about the three man. That's a handicap tournament. Well, it's so it kind of handicap. Anybody can play, but what it is is you have a maximum of ten, the strength of the team. Okay. So what happens is uh, MPA does, and I think when you rate a person by number, a um, master's player is a five, a double A is a four, an A is a three, a B is a two, and a C is a one. When you put your team together, you can't add up to more than ten. Okay, so. You couldn't two put masters, two masters. Can't two masters play. on a team. But you, you, can, can't you play. could put a masters, a double A, and a C. Or yeah. you could put a masters, yeah. a, and and uh, two A's. It's kind of funny. Good or bad. Uh, Not even Minnesota. Minnesota has been keeping handicaps for so long that they're pretty accurate for the most part. Right. It's always going to be the fluke. That always happens. That you know, and you can't. You can't. Uh, Jump somebody up because they practiced and started right. playing good. Well, the other thing, you know? if you want to know what the ratings are within the MPA, and you need to be an MPA member to play in this tournament. Okay. So if you're not, you can pay your $20 for the year. Normally, through any league that you're in, it's only $10 for a year. And most of the, all the M8 Masters and the M8 Advanced ones are sanctioned for MPA. Okay. So you're already MPA for that. So if you want to find out if I do a team together, go on the MPA one website. Go to the and there's a 
click for player ratings. You go and put in the last name. Don't put in the full name. Put okay. the last name. So if you want to put in... Uh, um, writer. Writer, <laughs> you put in there. I'm about the only writer in there. And you, you look over, and I'd be listed as an A. Okay. So then if you look and put uh, Lee yeah. U-Wagon in there, you'd be listed as a master's. Okay. So then you go through that, and so then you can just figure out, you know, I mean, you know, all of a sudden you're like, oh, that friend of mine, yeah, he, well, he's a B player, yep. and I'm an A player, and we can get a double so, A player, and we've got a team. Right. So once again, you, you know, you just hunt around to and find then, the right team. And then, then it's a, uh, it's round robin, and it's a race to eight. So it could go to 15 games sure. total, because sure. it could be 7-7, seven, seven, who wins eight sure. first, so it's over with. ideally then, if it goes 15 games, you yeah. play everybody five times. Uh, Is that right? Did. I have to figure that out. So, 15 games. Yeah, three times. Yeah, I'll probably right? beat something like that. I'm not sure. No, I'm, no, I'm questioning <laughs> myself. But anyway, right. you get to play. Yeah, right. You right. come to play, you get to play. Right, right. <laughs> okay, so I, I just wanted to bring up that date again. Anything else you have to add? No, I just come and check us out sometime. Yeah. Uh, we, come, uh, come see a We're good open group. from 1 to 1, uh, Monday through Saturday. Sundays we open a little later at two, but now that the sucker guys are coming in, we're open earlier than that. Sorry, and that's okay. But we're going to work something like that, so we you could get here a little earlier. Um, we have leagues on Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, and Thursdays. Um, Mondays and Sundays, Mondays and Thursdays, the the bar tables are pretty much filled up. There is the big tables are available. Tuesday nights, we'll have a couple teams that are always open. Um, Wednesday night, they're open. Um, Friday night, we have a tournament every Friday night. Uh, this Friday, it's nine ball on the big tables. The next week, it's eight ball on the oh, seven-foot tables. So we rotate back and forth. All righty. Uh, in the nine ball, it's raced to four, five, and six games. In eight ball, it's three, four, five. And we, we pretty much know everybody's ability, so you play to your ability. And... Uh, then on Saturdays, mostly it's pretty slow, and we, you know, we have some special tournaments and stuff like that. This particular Saturday, we have an M8 tournament, M8 handicap Scotch doubles tournament, and then uh, then again we have the December sixth tournament. But you know, and then Sundays is busy. So really, if you're just coming in for open play on the bar tables, uh, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, uh, and depending which tournament we have, uh, Friday night and Saturdays are pretty open. Okay. Okay. If, I if urge everybody, if you haven't been to Farmington Billiards, come on down and meet Dan. He's usually here, Mr. 12-Hour Dan. Right. Right. <laughs> and then the thing is, if, you, if you're interested in leagues, the handicap leagues, I don't care what your ability is, you can be competitive. Um, and we'll start up again mid-January again with new, with new sessions. So if you want to play pool and you enjoy it and... Like I said, some of these rating systems, I mean, I just played recently. I was a 140 in open, and I, they threw a 32 up against me, and I lost 32 to 135. I won oh, 10 games man. in a row and lost. So, yeah, But, I mean, it, but it gives everybody a chance. The kid was proud of me. a chance, yep. He's probably told everybody in three counties that he beat Dan Ryder. You might have gotten aggressive on that last game. Is that what you're saying? Or Actually, one of the games? I made an eight ball in a break, and I knew I should have ran it out, but I took the points. And, and that was the difference. Right. Okay, well, thank you once again, Dan. And uh, good luck to you, and we'll talk to you later. Well, thanks, Jay. appreciate the opportunity to share a few things about Farmington Billiards. All right. And this has been Table Talk with Jay Wagner. You all have a good day. Bye. We have to do a lot of